Chapter 8 of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter 8 A Nosegay. Pitt walked home, half amused at himself that he should take so much pains about this little girl at the same time very firmly resolved that nothing should hinder him. Perhaps his liking for her was deeper than he knew. It was certainly real. While his kindly and generous temper responded promptly to every appeal that her affection and confidence made upon him, affection and confidence are very winning things, even if not given by a beautiful girl who will soon be a beautiful woman. But looking out from Esther's innocent eyes, they went down into the bottom of young Dallas's heart. And besides... His nature was not only kind and noble, it was obstinate. Opposition to him, in a thing he thought good to pursue, was like blows of a hammer on a nail, drove the purpose farther in. So he made himself, it is true, very pleasant indeed to his parents at home that night and the next morning, but then he went with Esther after cedar and hemlock branches. It may be asked, what opposition had he hitherto found to his intercourse with the colonel's daughter? And it must be answered, none. Nevertheless, Pitt felt it in the air, and it had the effect on him that the north wind and cold are said to have upon timber. It was a day of days for Esther. First the delightful roving walk, and cutting the greens, which were bestowed in a cart that attended them. Then the wonderful novelty of dressing the house. Esther had never seen anything of the kind before, which did not hinder her, however, from giving very good help. The hall, the sitting-room, the drawing-room, and even Pitt's particular, out-of-the-way workroom, all were wreathed and adorned and dressed up, each after its manner, for Pitt would not have one place of repetition of another. The bright berries of the winterberry and bittersweet were mingled with the dark shade of the evergreens in many ingenious ways but the crowning triumph of art, perhaps to Esther's eyes, was a motto in green letters, picked out with brilliant partridge berries, over the end of the sitting-room. Peace on earth. Esther stood in delighted admiration before it, also pondering. Pitt, she said at last, those partridge berries ought not to be in it. Why not? said Pitt, in astonishment. I think they set it off capitally. Oh, so they do. I didn't mean that. They are beautiful, very. But you know what you said about them. What did I say? You said they were poison. Poison? What then, Queen Esther? They won't hurt anybody up there. No partridge will get at them. Oh, no, it isn't that, Pitt. But I was thinking. Poison shouldn't be in that message of the angels. Pitt's face lighted up. Queen Esther, said he solemnly. Are you going to be that sort of person? What sort of person? One of those whose spirits are attuned to finer issues than their neighbors? They are the stuff that poets are made of. You are not a poet, are you? No, indeed, said Esther, laughing. Don't. I think it must be uncomfortable to have to do with a poet. You may notice that in nature the dwellers on the earth have nothing to do with the dwellers in the air. "'Except to be food for them,' said Esther. "'Ah, well, leaving that, 
I should never have thought about the partridge berries in that motto, and my mother would never have thought of it. For all that, you are right. What shall we do? Take them down? Oh, no, they look so pretty. And besides, I suppose, Pitt, by and by, poison itself will turn to peace. What? said Pitt. What is that? What can you mean, Queen Esther? Only, said Esther, a little doubtfully, I was thinking, you know, when the time comes, there will be nothing to hurt or destroy in all the earth. The wild beasts will not be wild, and so I suppose poison will not be poison. The wild beasts will not be wild? What will they be, then? Tame. Where did you get that idea? It is in the Bible. It is not an idea. Are you sure? Certainly. Mama used to read it to me and tell me about it. Well, you shall show me the place sometime. How do you like it, mother? This question being addressed to Mrs. Dallas, who appeared in the doorway. She gave great approval. Do you like the effect of the partridge berries? Pitt asked. It is excellent, I think. They brighten it up finely. What would you say if you knew they were poison? That would not make any difference. They do not hurt unless you swallow them, I suppose. Esther finds in them an emblem of the time when the message of peace shall have neutralized all the hurtful things in the world and made them harmless. Mrs. Dallas's eyes fell coldly upon Esther. I do not think the church knows of any such time, she answered, as she turned away. Pitt whistled for some time thereafter in silence. The decorations were finished and most lovely to Esther's eyes. Then, when they were all done, she went home to tea. Forgetting the greens and putting them up had taken both the morning and the afternoon to accomplish. She went home gaily, with a brisk step and a merry heart, at the same time thinking busily. Home, in its dull uniformity and stillness, was a contrast after the stir and freshness and prettiness of life in the Dallas's house. It struck Esther rather painfully. The room where she and her father took their supper was pleasant and homely indeed. A bright fire burned on the hearth, or in the grate, rather, and a bright lamp shone on the table. Barker had brought in the tea urn, and the business of preparing tea for her father was one that Esther always liked. But, nevertheless, the place approached too nearly a picture of still life. The urn hissed and bubbled, a comfortable sound, and now and then there was a falling coal or a jet of gas flame in the fire. But I think these things perhaps made the stillness more intense and more noticeable. The colonel sat on his sofa, breaking dry toast into his tea and thoughtfully swallowing it. He said nothing, unless to demand another cup, and Esther, though she had a healthy young appetite, could not quite stay the mental longing with the material supply. Besides, she was pondering something curiously. Papa, she said at last, are you busy? May I ask you something? Yes, my dear. What is it? Papa, what is Christmas? The colonel looked up. What is Christmas? He repeated. It is nothing, Esther. Nothing at all. A name. Nothing more. Then why do people think so much of Christmas? They do not. Sensible people do not think anything of it. Christmas is nothing to me. But, Papa, why then does anybody make much of it? Mrs. Dallas has her house all dressed up with greens. 
you had better keep away from Mrs. Dallas's. But it looks so pretty, Papa. Is there any harm in it? Harm in what? Dressing the house so? It is all hemlock grease and cedar branches and bright red berries here and there, and Pitt has put them up so beautifully. You can't think how pretty it all is. Is there any harm in that, Papa? Decidedly, in my judgment. Why do they do it then, Papa? My dear, they have a foolish fancy that it is the time when Christ was born, and so in Romish times a special popish mass was said on that day, and from that the 25th of December got its present name, Christ Mass. That is what it is. Then he was not born the 25th of December? No, nor in December at all. Nothing is plainer than that spring was the time of our Lord's coming into the world. The shepherds were watching their flocks by night. That could not have been in the depths of winter. It must have been in the spring. Then why don't they have Christmas in springtime? Don't ask me, my dear. I don't know. The thing began in the ages of ignorance, I suppose. And as all it means now is a time of feasting and jollity, the dead of winter will do as well as another time. But it is a popish observance, my child. It is a popish observance. There's no harm in it, Papa, is there? If it means only feasting and jollity, as you say? There is always harm in superstition. This is no more the time of Christ's birth than any other day that you could choose. But there is a superstition about it, and I object to giving a superstitious reverence to what is nothing at all. Reverence the Bible as much as you please. You cannot too much. But do not put any ordinance of man, whether it be of the Popish Church or any other, on a level with what the Bible commands. The colonel had finished his toast, and was turning to his book again. Pitt has been telling me of the way they keep Christmas in England, Esther went on, the yule log, and the games, and the songs, and the plays. Godless ways, said the colonel, settling himself to his reading. Godless ways. It is a great deal better in this country where they make nothing of Christmas. No good comes of those things. Esther would disturb her father no more by her words, but she went on pondering, unsatisfied. In any question which put Mrs. Dallas and her father on opposite sides, she had no doubt whatever that her father must be in the right. But it was a pity, for surely in the present case Mrs. Dallas's house had the advantage. The Christmas decorations had been so pretty, the look of them was so bright and festive. The walls she had round her at home were bare and stiff and cold. No doubt her father must be right, but it was a pity. The next day was Christmas Day. Pitt, being in attendance on his father and mother, busied with the religious and other observances of the festival, Esther did not see him till the afternoon. Late in the day, however, he came and brought in his hands a large bouquet of hothouse flowers. If the two had been alone, Esther would have greeted him and them with very lively demonstrations. As it was, it amused the young man to see the sparkle in her eye, and the lips half open for a cry of joy, and the sudden flush on her cheek, and at the same time the quiet, unexcited demeanor she maintained. Esther rose indeed, but then stood silent and motionless and said not a word, while Pitt paid his compliments to her father. A new fire flashed from her eye when, at last, he approached her and offered her the flowers. "'Oh, Pitt! Oh, Pitt!' was all Esther with bated breath could stay. 
The colonel eyed the bouquet a moment and then turned to his book. He was on a sofa and seemingly gave no further heed to the young people. Oh, Pitt, where could you get these? The girl's breath was almost taken away. Only one place where I could get them. Don't you know old MacPherson's greenhouse? But he don't let people in, I thought, in winter. He let me in. Oh, Pitt, how wonderful! What is this? Now you must tell me all the names. This beautiful white geranium with purple lines? It's a pelargonium. Belongs to the Geronicea. This one they call me Cranthon. It's a beauty, isn't it? This little white blossom is myrtle. Don't you know myrtle? And this geranium? This purple one? That is Napoleon. And this Louise. And this Belle. This red magnificence is the Metrocedros. This white flower is... I forget its name. But this, this sweet one, is Daphne. Then here are two heaths. Then this thick leaf is Laurustinus, And this other, with the red bud, Camellia japonica. Oh, how perfectly beautiful! exclaimed the delighted child. Oh, how perfectly beautiful! And this yellow flower? Coronia. And this? Is it a red wallflower? A red wallflower, you are right. How lovely! And how sweet! And these blue? These little blue flowers are lobelia. They are cousins of the cardinal flower. That is lobelia cardinalis. These are lobelia arenus and lobelia gracilis. He watched the girl, for under the surprise and pleasure of his gift, her face was itself but a nobler flower, all glowing and flashing and fragrant. With eyes dewy with delight, she hung over the bouquet, almost trembling in her eagerness of joy. She set the flowers carefully in a vase, with tender circumspection, lest a leaf might be wrong by chance crowding or inadvertent handling. Pitt watched and read it all. He felt a great compassion for Esther. This creature, full of life and sensibility, receptive to every influence, at twelve years old shut up to the company of a taciturn, melancholy father and an empty house, what would ever become of her? There was the colonel now, on the sofa, attending only to his book, caring nothing for what was so moving his child. Nobody cared, or was anywhere to sympathize with her. And if she grew up so, shut up to herself, every feeling and desire repressed for want of expression, or of somebody to express it to, how would her nature ever develop? Would it not grow stunted and poorer? compared with what it might be he was sorry for his little playmate and friend and it did the young fellow credit i think for at his age boys are not wont to be tenderly sympathetic towards anything unless it be a beloved mother or sister pitt silently watched the putting the flowers in water speculating upon the very unhopeful condition of this little human plant and revolving schemes in his mind after he had gone Colonel Gainsborough bade Esther show him her flowers. She brought the dish to his sofa. The colonel reviewed them with a somewhat jealous eye, did not seem to perceive their beauty, and told her to take them away again. But the next day, when Esther was not in the room, he examined the collection carefully, looking to see if there were anything that looked like contraband Christmas greens, 
there were some sprigs of laurel and holly that served to make the hues of the bouquet more varied and rich that the colonel did not think of all he saw was that they were bits of the objectionable christmas colonel gainsborough carefully pulled them out and threw them in the fire and nothing i fear save the laurustinus and japonica from a like fate but their exquisite large blossoms esther was not slow to miss the green leaves abstracted from her vase papa she said in some bewilderment i think somebody has been at my flowers there is some green gone i took out some sprigs of laurel and holly said her father i cannot have any christmas decorations here oh papa pitt did not mean them for any such thing whether he meant it or not i prefer not to have them there esther was silenced but she watched her vase with rather anxious eyes after that time however there was no more meddling the brilliant blossoms were allowed to adorn the place and esther's life as long as they would or could she cherished them to the utmost of her knowledge all the rather that pitt was gone away again she gave them fresh water she trimmed off the unsightly dry leaves and withered blossoms but all would not do they lasted for a time and then followed the law of their existence and faded what esther did then was to fetch a large old book and lay the different sprigs leaves or flowers carefully among its pages and put them to dry she loved every leaf of them they were associated in her mind with all that pleasant interlude of christmas pitt's coming his kindness they are going after greens together and dressing the house the bright interlude was past pitt had gone back to college and the little girl cherished the faded green things as something belonging to that good time which was gone she would dry them carefully and keep them always she thought a day or two later her father noticed that the vase was empty and asked esther what she had done with her flowers they were withered papa they were spoilt i could not keep them what did you do with them papa i thought i would try to dry them yes and what did you do with them papa i put them in that old odd volume of the encyclopedia bring it here and let me see much wondering and a little discomfited esther obeyed she brought the great book to the side of the sofa and turned over the pages carefully showing the dried and drying leaves she had a great love to them what did her father want with them what do you propose to do with those things when they are dry they are staining the book it's an old book papa it is no harm is it what are you going to do with them are they to remain here permanently oh no sir they are only put here to dry i put a weight on the book they will be dry soon and what then then i will take them out papa it's an old book and what will you do with them i will keep them sir what is the use of keeping the flowers after their beauty is gone i do not think that is worth while some of their beauty is gone said esther with a certain tenderness for the plants manifested in her manner but i love them yet papa that is not wise my child why should you love a parcel of dry leaves love what is worthy to be loved i think i would throw them all in the fire oh papa that's the best my dear they are only rubbish 
I object to the hoarding of rubbish. It is a poor habit. The colonel turned his attention again to his book, and perhaps did not even remark how Esther sat with a disconsolate face on the floor, looking at her condemned treasures. He would not have understood it if he had seen. In his nature there was no key to the feeling which now was driving the tears into Esther's eyes and making her heart swell. Like many men, and many women, for the matter of that, Colonel Gainsborough had very little power of association. He would indeed have regarded with sacred reverence anything that had once belonged to his wife, down to her shoe. In that one instance the tension of feeling was strong enough to make the cords tremble under the lightest touch. In other relations, what did it matter? They were nothing to him, and if Colonel Gainsborough made his own estimate the standard of the worth of things, he only did what I am afraid we all do, more or less. At any rate, his was not one of those finer strung natures which recognize the possibility of worlds of knowledge and feeling not open to themselves. It is also just possible that he divined his daughter's sentiment in regard to the flowers enough to be jealous of it. But Esther did not immediately move to obey his order. She sat on the floor with the big book before her, the open page showing a half-dry blossom of the mecanthan geranium which was still, to her eyes, very beautiful. And all the associations of that pleasant Christmas afternoon, when Pitt had brought it and told her what its name was, rose up before her. She was exceedingly unwilling to burn it. The colonel, perhaps, had a guess that he had given a hard command, for he did not look again at Esther or speak to her, or take any notice of her delay of obedience. That she would obey he knew, and he let her take her time. So he did not see the big tears that filled her eyes, nor the quiet way in which she got rid of them, while the hurt, sorrowful, regretful look on her face would have certainly moved Pitt to indignation if he had been where he could see it. I am afraid, if the colonel had seen it, he would have been moved quite in a different way. Not to anger, indeed. Colonel Gainsborough was never angry with his child, as truly she never gave him cause, but I think he would privately have applauded the wisdom of his regulation, which removed such objects of misplaced sentiment out of the way of doing further harm. And Esther sat and looked at the Micranthon, brushed away her tears softly, swallowed her regrets and unwillingness, and finally rose up, carried her book to the fire, and one by one, turning the leaves, took out her drying favorites and threw them into the glowing grate. It was done, and she carried the book away and put it in its old place. But a week later it happened that Esther bethought her to open the encyclopedia again, to look at the marks her flower had left on the pages, for they had stained the book a little, and here and there she could discern the outline of a sprig, and trace a faint dash of color left behind by the petals of some flower rich in its dyes. If it appears from this that the colonel was right in checking the feeling which ran to such extremes, I cannot help that. I am reporting the facts. Esther turned over the book from one place to another where her flowers had lain. Here had been heath. There coronilla. Here, oh, here was still the wallflower. Dried beautifully, delicate and unbroken and perfect and sweet. There was nothing else left, but here was the wallflower. A great movement of joy filled Esther's heart. Then came a doubt. Must this be burned too? Would this one little sprig matter? She had obeyed her father, 
and destroyed all the rest of the bouquet, and this wallflower had been preserved without her knowledge. Since it had been saved, might it not be saved? Esther looked, studied, hesitated, and finally could not make up her mind without further order to destroy this last blossom. She never thought of asking her father's mind about it. The child knew instinctively that he would not understand her. A sorrowful thing for a child to know. It did not occur to her that if he had understood her feeling, he would have been still less likely to favor it. She kept the wallflower, took it away from its exposed situation in the encyclopedia, and put it in great safety among her own private possessions. End of chapter 8 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona